Slut. I am Laurella Mallet. I'm a photographic artist, educator, and full time photo slut. Uh, thank you for joining me today. This is my first episode, um, and I've been really hesitant about recording it, uh, but I've just watched uh, Rihanna's halftime Super Bowl show, and I figure that if she can get up there and do that pregnant, then I should be able to talk about something that um, I love. And then I lecture him without using the crutch of my friends to um, make me sound more intelligent than I am. Or make me funnier than I am, depending on how you look at it. I sort of want to say that I came up with the name Photo Slut. And I think I did. Um, I credit myself with making up words on a daily basis. But I think that's some sort of neurological disorder that I have uh, on the end of a long list of other ones. To be a photo slut is effectively to be a person that has many casual photographic partners. Um, and maybe we'll copyright it. Let's see how this goes. Let's try and get over the first couple of episodes and see if it's a flop or not. Um, I did describe it earlier as this could possibly be the, I don't, I don't know what you call it, but uh, when you sit in the stocks and people throw tomatoes at you, it's not a stocking. I don't know what it is, but I feel like that's what this is. I've made this podcast so that I can indulge my photo sluttiness, another made up word, and I hope that you can indulge yours, find yours, um, you know, come together, enjoy, and really relish in the, in the catharsis of listening to people talk. Even if you're not interested in photography, you don't have to be an OG photo nerd. You don't have to be any of those things. You don't even have to know who Fox Talbot is. You just have to have a thirst for knowledge and listening on on people talk about subjects that they love and how they came across inspiration and the journey that their sort of creative practice have ta- has taken over the last couple of years or hopefully from, from when they were born, when they come out of the womb. Um, but we're going to have a great time and we're going to learn a lot. We're going to indulge ourselves and hopefully laugh a little bit along the way as well. I listened to an interview today with the film director Alejandro G. Inaratu, who directed The Revenant and he directed Birdman and lots of other films as well. And he was talking about when he lived in Mexico before he became a film director, that he used to be a DJ at a local um, Mexican radio station. And he was the most popular DJ in Mexico, he said, but we only have his word for it. Uh, And he was talking about how he would set up his set and he would get all of his vinyls and he'd grate them out together and everything would be hunky-dory and ready to go. He said the best part of his job, or the most important part of it, was the stories that went between the records and the gaps that filled the songs. And that really resonated with me. And I thought that I suppose that's sort of what we're doing here, which is we're filling the gaps. We're colouring in the space around the photographs, around the films, around the art and dissecting how people got where they are in their practice. I've just realised in the background you can hear songbirds. I think is very beautiful. I am recording in the middle of nowhere, not in a field, not in a sort of midsummer M. Night Shalaman kind of way, but uh, I'd like to say it's my country retreat. It's not really, but um, for today's purpose, it is. 
the best thing about being a photo slut is that you don't have to put all your photographic eggs in one basket. You don't have to define yourself as a documentary photographer or a fashion photographer or that you only like one of those things. You're welcome to enjoy everything, indulge all your tastes and relish in perhaps genres you didn't think were possible. So as I mentioned previously, each of my guests have been asked to collate a selection of incidental or unconventional inspiration or something that, you know, is just slightly different from the norm and maybe not photographic. So as I've asked all my guests to bring their inspiration, I need to bring mine too. And of course, I'm going to go first. If you know me, this probably won't surprise anyone. But I'm a big believer that one man's Roland Barthes is another man's Ian Beale. And for that, my first offering of inspiration, and if I only could do one, this would be it, is of course the eighth wonder of the modern world. EastEnders. I talk about my relationship with EastEnders quite a lot, and I'm, I'm a massive fan of bringing what is conventionally or societally lowbrow into academia or into a way where people can really understand and reflect on how it affects us in our everyday life. Um, I'm currently reading Origin of the Species and in a couple of weeks time I'll be going back to reading my Ian Rankin novels and both of those offer me completely different things and you might argue that one's more highbrow than the other and one's more intellectually challenging than the other but they both offer me inspiration and the chance to you know relish in thought and idea whether that's fictional or whether it's reality um, and they're both informative in completely different ways but anyway back to Albert Square there was a period of time where I didn't watch EastEnders and I think that was sort of maybe in my late teens uh, and then I got back into it when I went to uni because my housemate um, Amber Hardwick, amazing artist, check her out, um, was a big fan of EastEnders and she got me back into it and what's really strange is that I think a lot of people say this, you know, loads of people have said this to me even in the last couple of months, is that they haven't watched EastEnders for ages they turn it back on and there are characters that they recognise from 10 years ago. And that's what I love about it. Even with that time that I took off it, there are characters that I used to watch when I was 10, 11, 12 that are still on it. I've known, for example, Phil Mitchell longer than I've known most people in my life, bar immediate family and probably my closest friends. And I want to preface this by saying that I don't suffer from any form of schizophrenia but there's something really enjoyable about being involved in people's lives and you know to some extent being involved in drama and in gossip and in misfortune that, that ultimately doesn't matter because it's completely fictional and more so than that these characters allow me into their lives I know everything about them I get to laugh with them through the highs and the lows and you know, through childbirth, through marriage, through funerals, through adultery and everything. Because as we know, everyone only senders has far more exciting lives than anyone we know in reality. But as much as I'm allowed into that space and I'm allowed to indulge myself in all these, you know, storylines, 
they require absolutely nothing from me. And that's fantastic. I love that I can just lay on the sofa after a day of talking to people. And like it's like catching up with old friends. But I don't have to do any talking. I just get to be bombarded by conversation and laughs and tears. And, and I can feel all of these emotions with them. But I don't have to reciprocate anything. So now that we've established that I'm completely unhinged, I also want to talk about, aside from characters, what has watching something like EastEnders, and I, I single that out now because that's what I'm talking about, but, you know, films and, and television in general, what did EastEnders teach me from a very young age about character development, about storylines, about creating suspense, about character relationships, about, you know costume design about room design set design all of these things are I absorb throughout the years I understand how people interact with each other in real life I understand how people interact each with each other on screen I knew it was a set what did it tell a young me about what was possible to create fiction from reality now I'm going to leave it there because there will be and I don't want to hear anything negative about this. There will be a whole episode on EastEnders. Um, I'd love to try and get a special guest, but, you know, let's park that one there for now. Sound off in the comments, as always. So sticking with this idea of an alternative reality, the other piece of inspiration that I'd like to bring to the table is my dreams. I have the most intense dreams. And I know everyone says that. And I know it's really boring to listen to other people's dreams. But especially as a photographer, I experience so much visually that I'm not in control of, that I'm subconsciously creating and curating in my mind that is completely unavoidable to me in my day-to-day -day life. And it's so impossible to ignore something like that. And some of them are absolutely horrendous and, you know, extremely graphic and very painful and I wonder how much of that is, you know, self-healing and processing, you know, grief and trauma and all of those things. And on the complete flip side, I had a dream recently where I explained to a colleague exactly how I'm going to execute my next project. I told him how many parts I'm going to execute in. I told him what the titles of each of those sections are going to be. And I gave him a sort of elevator pitch on each of those sections. I don't remember all of it. But I remember enough for it to be constructive. I also had a dream where I explained to someone that my artistic practice was like an apple um, or the core of an apple. And that I just have this really strange, almost decrepit core and I want to build beauty around it. Which sounds really intense and way, way, way more dramatic and romantic than I actually think my own practice is. But um, there you go. So when we've got all the inspiration out of the way and I have finished taking us on mad, mad tangents and segueing us in and out of space and time, the only other question that I'm going to ask my guests that will unite us in, in some sort of framework, I hope, is I'd love to know if they could live in a photograph, what would it be or which would it be? And why? And I know that 
it sounds like a really massively broad question, but then we get into the minutiae and it's like, well, I love this photo, but I wouldn't want to live in it. And, you know, what happens on the other side of the photo? And and that's why I'm asking, you know, on average, a photograph is 125th of a second. It's it's a blip in life. We have no idea really what comes before it. We're not all Casio Bresson and we don't know what comes after it. But in that snapshot, in that frame, a moment is suspended. And this is not some sort of strange Groundhog Day style thing. I just want to know if you could live in a photo, which would it be? And of course, because I'm difficult, I have two. And I have two because they, they touch on two completely different parts of my personality and my practice. So my first picture is a photograph of Lily Cole in a beautiful long turquoise dress. And she's in a very beautifully ornate building in Gujarat, in India. And it's shot by Tim Walker. And it was for the UK Vogue. And it was in July 2005. And I remember seeing this picture in my grandma's living room. And this is at a time where I had just been gifted a subscription to Vogue. And I was in this really strange transitional phase of I was looking at lots of Vogue magazines and I thought I wanted to be a fashion designer. And I took um, textiles and fashion design as a GCSE. And then I was sort of coming to realise that I kind of wanted to live in the photo or I wanted that to be me. So did I want to be a model? Not really. But I wanted to live that sort of fantasy of what was happening in the frame. Um, and then I sort of thought maybe I'll be a fashion photographer. But I slowly realised to my late teens and early 20s, I didn't want to be a fashion photographer. I just loved the language of fashion photography. And when I say I love fashion photography, I mean, I love the aspiration. I love the fantasy. I love this suspenseful moment of just beauty and and craft and storytelling. And I don't mean, you know, jumping, smiling model in a studio in New York somewhere. I mean, I think essentially, I think it distills down to Tim Walker. I love this idea. And, and this is what sparked my interest. I was confronted with these images that told me that I could make the story. I could build the story. I could create anything. It was escapism. You know, I didn't have to photograph the trees I saw outside. The trees could be something completely different. And it sparked my interest to craft my technical capabilities to create the, these fictional worlds that I was so desperate to live in. This leads me on to another subject that I think we'll come on to in a couple of episodes time, which is my troubled relationship with fashion photography and how fashion presents itself and possibly now how it's sort of demonized in fine art photography world, photo land, I think. But um, like I said, we'll unpack that at another time. I think also it's really interesting to choose something by Tim Walker because there's almost some photographers that have become so much of a buzzword that as a photographer, you're really reluctant to say that you like their work because it's very sort of run of the mill. It's A-level references, you know. But for me, I don't know many photographers, especially maybe it's nostalgia, that really showed me what I could be capable of creating if I took this craft 
this new thing, photographing, as seriously as people took oil paintings and practicing every day and mood boarding and researching and all of this sort of stuff. And it was completely within my reach to to go for it. And as I mentioned previously, I struggle with a lot of documentary photography. I never wanted, and I never do still, wanted to see reality. I wanted to be someone and somewhere else when I was younger. And I mean that not in a way that I had a traumatic childhood, but in a way that my imagination was so frustrated in my mind. I wanted to let it out and I wanted to see those things way beyond what I could see in my mind. And I wanted to execute, you know, beauty and fantasy and these strange worlds of warped creative beautifulness, I suppose. And that leads me on to my second choice. It is documentary photography. Well, it's documentary of sorts, but I think it reflects the romance and nostalgia of the world that I wanted to be a part of. And that is James Barner's photograph of a christening celebration um, in London in 1960. And the image is of a group of people, some black, some white, some male, some female, some young, some old, some smiling, some preoccupied, somebody smoking, people are, oh, is that child? I think that's a child smoking. Um, Everybody's doing their thing. Everybody's all over the place. But it's a it's a beautiful coming together of people. And I love the fact that they're on a doorstep and they're all centred around this this tiny child, which I suppose is the epicentre of celebration at the front. And when I was researching more into this image, because I think that's that's another really interesting thing about photography and, and art, is that you come across something that you think is so beautiful and it and it instantly clicks with you. And you can love it on face value, and quite often that's enough. But I've loved this image for quite a long time, and I've never really done a deep dive into it. But when I did, I found this beautiful quote that James Barner had written about this particular photograph. And he said, the things about the camera is that it brings families together, weddings, baptisms, and special occasions. Over 50% of my work as a photographer is families. After all, the images I take are to remember or record these moments, and that's all we have. We also form families in the diaspora, wherever we travel and where we live. And I was lucky enough to document it. It brings us together. The camera does that best. And this image really reminds me of of growing up. Um, And when I was born, I was, you know, I, I know people are rolling their eyes at this, but I was small for dates. That's premature to you and me. And um, my parents couldn't find a childminder that would take me because I was absolutely minuscule. You wouldn't know to see me now. Um, And my nan took me on and I became part of her extended family. And just to give you sort of the, the length of our relationship, my nan took me on, I think maybe when I was a month, a couple of months old. And I, I ended, not ended, but I finished my relationship with my nan um, when she passed away, which was only a couple of years ago. And I'm 31. So we had a long time together for somebody who, you know, was not biologically related to me. But I think I experienced something that so few people get to in, in this life, which is through circumstance, I was brought into a family and I was brought into a family that was of mixed heritage. And 
I can't put into words the effect that being brought into a family and being treated with such love and you know such awe I suppose it was just amazing and and you know we all loved each other and it was based on nothing superficial political or, or material and um, it really reminds me of, of growing up then and going to a primary school where everybody was really different and nobody looked the same nobody acted the same and it was just a melting pot of friendship and love and I know this is really soppy but it was a really beautiful time I think in my life and it nurtured me in ways that I probably still don't even understand and when I look at this picture I think of growing up in a mixed family that was headed up by a matriarch and I can sort of smell um clothes that have come out of the tumble dryer that smell like warm fabric conditioner and um she had a she had a curtain behind her door which kept you know trapped the heat in and all of these things and I know that everybody has a picture like this and everybody has those senses and those smells and and it's just um yeah growing up in a cocoon of of love and to be in the crook of my nan's arm and you know waiting for dinner and and this is all in a family that I was brought into and the family that took me in and I, and and I have I have my um biological grandparents and you know I have relationships with them and well be difficult now because they're not with us uh but maybe that comes back to the dream episode you know there's something going on there as well um but this was almost an extra family this was a bonus family this was bonus love um, and that was that was super important to me. So before I burst into tears, I'll leave it there. Um, but that'd be great, wouldn't it, to cry? I think crying would show real authenticity. That's what I'm trying to bring back to photography: authenticity. And there's there's a ban on impartiality. I don't want any impartiality on this podcast. Um, you love it or you hate it. I don't want anything in between. So I really hope you've enjoyed this. If you think you might have enjoyed it and you're going to give the next one a go to see if you really did, I can almost guarantee you that this is going to be the worst episode because I am a one-man band and I am staring into the mirror and talking into a microphone. My next guest uh, is fantastic, articulate, intelligent and extremely funny. So please, if you're on the fence, go for another one. Uh, and if you hate it, don't feel obliged to listen again. You can find us on Instagram at aka photoslut or you can email us at aka photoslut at gmail.com. So thank you for sticking with me. Um, hopefully the runtime of this one won't be too long, but we all know I'm prone to a tangent. And if you don't know, you are going to find out. So my profuse apologies in advance. Uh, I've been photo slut and I will be photo slut on the next episode and I hope that you'll all be photo sluts as well with me so thank you very much thank you for listening and I will see you soon bye bye